You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hi, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan, and I am joined with Dr. Ben Akers. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mary. This episode, we're going to talk about the life of St. James the Greater. So very excited to dive into this incredible saint. Uh, and we, we like to learn about the lives of saints to look for inspiration for our own lives um, here today. So St. James, one of the greatest apostles in, in the inner circle of Jesus. What do we know about him from scripture as the biographical sketch? So what do we, yeah, where is he from? What do we know about him at a basic level? So we know a lot about James. Uh, he is, as you mentioned, one of Jesus's inner circle. So Peter, James, and John, the inner, inner circle. And they're the inner circle because they get invited by Jesus to witness certain things that the other apostles, the other nine, don't get to see. So mm-hmm. the uh, he sees the um, raising of Peter's mother-in-law. He is going to see the transfiguration of Christ. He sees the raising of Jairus' daughter. And uh, he's also going to be present at the agony in the garden where mm. Jesus is, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are, you know, some examples in scripture of some of the things he gets to witness. Okay. We're introduced to James uh, through his brother, John, and through Peter and Andrew, that they were all uh, fishermen up in the Sea of Galilee, so the northern part of Israel. And Jesus enters into the life of James and John. James is fishing. John is fishing. They're mending their nets from from Mark, the beginning of Mark or also Matthew chapter four. Jesus says, come and follow me. And they drop their nets. They're working with their father Zebedee. So we know his name, their father Zebedee. And they drop their nets and follow Christ. How would you feel as a, as a father Zebedee if, you're, if your sons just left you in the boat? Yeah, holding the nets and holding the boat and doing all the, <laughs> all the work. Uh, you know, we don't have his reaction. You we, know, don't. we don't hear him yelling or screaming or clapping or yeah, rejoicing. Um, I think once people realize that Jesus is God and the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament, the longing of these people's hearts, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't ask for a greater calling. Now, I can imagine, though, that as you're asking that question, it makes me think of sometimes when a vocation comes into our own lives where a son or daughter is called to be, a son is called to be a priest, a daughter is called to be a religious life, sometimes parents don't take it as a blessing. Mm-hmm. Like, no, but I want grandkids, or no, I wanted you to do something else with your life. But, you know, God calls each of us by name. He calls each of us to build up his kingdom in a particular way. So regardless of if our parents are supportive or not, we hope mm-hmm. that they will be supportive. And we hope as parents, if our children are called to a particular vocation, we're supportive. Um, we don't have Zebedee's reflection, but as you bring it up, that is an interesting point to reflect on is, you know, when our child or son or daughter is called to a particular thing in life, and it may not match with our hopes and dreams for, the, for that child, mm-hmm. how do we react? No, it's a good question. And maybe that's why it's intentional too. We don't receive a specific reaction um, to enter into that contemplation. Now, their mother's name is Salome. We know that from the foot of the cross. She's at the foot of the cross. So the mother fought, and we know the another scene later in the, the story of the gospels where the mother asks Jesus for something special for her sons. Mm-hmm. So mom is a big supporter 
of this. And so dad probably stayed back and did the family business. So I think this family is very supportive of, yes. of their son, James and John and Jesus. Can we then infer they were faithful Jews? If they were so receptive, you could see the sons were so receptive to follow Christ at that short invitation. It is. It, there's something you know, mysterious and beautiful about the action of Christ in one's life where this, this decisive moment, were they listening to him before? We know from John's gospel that John was a follower of John the Baptist and John the Baptist points him to uh, John the Baptist points them to Christ and they had that beautiful scene where Jesus says, come and see. And so John and mm-hmm. Andrew go and follow Jesus and they stayed one night with him. And we had the scene in John's gospel where Andrew runs and finds his brother Simon and says, we found the Lord. And he brings Simon who becomes Peter back mm-hmm. to, you know, implicit in the text as, text as we're reading in John's gospel is that John would run and find his brother James and bring him back. Mm-hmm. But John, who's writing the fourth gospel, is just being really you know, sensitive, I think, to that story. So Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. One other little detail with that invitation scene. Can we infer they were they came from any wealth? I know in scripture it says the father had hired servants who were mm-hmm. helping with the boat. I don't know if that was common or not for fishermen or, yeah, if that does re- reveal any background on this apostle. Yeah, they, they might. Um, you know, some theories are that, that they might even had a house in Jerusalem and John. Yeah, okay. we, don't, we don't know, but from yeah. the scene. But um, yeah, the fact that they have their own business. Now, when you see them uh, fishing, they're not catching ever. They're not ever catching fish. So I don't know how lucrative <laughs> a business that is unless That's Jesus comes into their lives. So. That's true. They yeah. keep getting interrupted. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should look into what we do know in scripture yeah. um, concretely. Um, you mentioned those big scenes with, with the Lord, transfiguration, mm-hmm. um, the raising of the mother. Um, what scripture would you like to go to that really can reveal uh, the essence of the life of St. James and maybe some clarification on, it's easy to confuse St. James the Greater with St. James the Lesser. Uh, what is, to start with, what does it mean that he's called the Greater? Yes. Uh, so James the Greater could be, you know, it's in distinction to James the Less, as you mentioned. Um, it just, he's older probably is okay. what it means. Okay. Yeah, he's just the Pretty older simple. one. Yeah. He's probably, he's likely John's older brother, John mm-hmm. the, of older brother. So okay, that's likely what it means. Um, he is also, you know, James and John as the two brothers. So it's interesting if you look at the apostles, Peter and Andrew are brothers, James and John are brothers. So Jesus is willing to call family groups together. And, and oftentimes families will raise saints up together. Hmm. And uh, so I think they're, they're from a good family. Uh, in Mark chapter three, when Mark lists the, the 12 apostles, he says, Simon, who's named Peter. And it says, James and John, who are known as Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. So Jesus gives these two brothers a nickname, Sons mm. of Thunder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is that an insult? Is that a compliment? What does Jesus, Jesus mean by that? <laughs> Jesus never insults anybody. So let's, okay. yeah, so, so it's definitely not an insult. But I think if we look at Luke chapter nine, we get an insight into their personality. I think what it does is it compliments their, that nickname that Jesus gives. It's a compliment to their personalities. Yeah. And um, we get the, you know, thunder, lightning, you know, making loud noises. I think that this is, you know, this fiery temperament is what this indicative, indicative of what their personalities are. So if you're in Luke chapter nine, Jesus has just sent the apostles out. They come back and John, this is the John of John and James in chapters. Uh, so I'm in Luke chapter nine, verse 49. John answered, master, we saw a man casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But he does not, but Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he is not against, whoever is not against you is for you. 
he had this sense of, come on, we got to, you know, mm-hmm. he's not on the same team. We have mm-hmm. to do something about it. But the very next scene, so this is Mark 9, 51, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, which means he's he's going to be, be about his father's business, about his father's will. He's going to go and mm-hmm. uh, be crucified in Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him, so Mark 9, 52, and he went and entered a village of Samaritans who, to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you wish that for us to, do you wish us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> That's great. But Jesus said, no, he rebuked them and they went on to another village. Mm-hmm. So this kind of seed is a sign of the, the temper. James and John are very zealous okay. for Christ and his mission. Yes. That's a fun, fun detail we had to receive in scripture. You have to, yeah. to know that insight. Uh, and the Lord, the Lord calls them all, all sorts of personalities as well in that fiery action. It's interesting on the way to Jerusalem. Um, then, so Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. We get James and John, they're fired up. And on the way to Jerusalem, we have different scenes that take place and conversations that Jesus is having because he knows this is the end, right? This is the end mm-hmm. of his public ministry. He's, he's handing on the key principles by which they should order themselves and the church and, and as, you know, after the ascension and sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And what he does in Matthew, so it's in Matthew chapter 20, or Mark 10 has a version of this story, um, is on the way, the apostles are, you know, kind of some jockeying for position one time, who's greater than the other one. Mm-hmm. But in Matthew chapter 20, the mother of James and John comes up to our Lord and says, I'd like to ask you something. He says, what would you like? I would like my son to have the right, one son to have the right, and one son to have the left hand as you come into your kingdom. Hmm. And it's fascinating because the reaction of the apostles to this, we have Jesus' word, but let's go to the apostles' reaction. The apostles' reaction is they're indignant at the, that the, uh, that the, the, these two would do something like that. <laughs> they're probably upset that they didn't think about it first. Right? Like, like, oh man, they asked for the right and the mm-hmm. left, and the, the seats of the kingdom. We know Jesus is the king. He's going to take his kingdom. We want to be on the right and the left. But Jesus is, uh, so Matthew 20, it says the mother asked that question. In Mark chapter 10, it's the apostles asked that question. Hmm. But in Matthew chapter 20 and in Mark chapter 10, Jesus gives the same response. You know, to my right and my left, those have been appointed by the Father. But the cup that I will drink, can you drink it? And the apostles have this beautiful response, James and John, yes, we are able. Hmm. They don't know what that cup is. But Jesus said, are you able to take that cup that I'm offering? They said, yes, we are. So in spite of not knowing what that cup entailed, they so much trust Jesus. They so much are willing to venture on faith. It's a beautiful sermon by uh, St. John Henry Newman on this. It starts with this scene of, so yes, we are able. It comes from the response of James and John. And uh, in that beautiful sermon, Ventures of Faith, so if you Google it, you can find it and search it and read it. It's a beautiful sermon. But he says, uh, John Henry Newman says, look, men based their trust on other men and interactions with other men. But Christians are meant to base their actions on the words of Christ. And we must, it's necessary that we act in ventures of faith, Mm -hmm. that we say yes to things that we don't have certainty about. Mm -hmm. That's what faith is about. And we're expected to do so. And these two apostles, James and John say, yes, we are able. And Jesus says, you will drink the cup that I will drink. In Mark 10, he adds, the baptism for which I will be baptized, you will be baptized. And if you fast forward and you think of when's the next, you know, when's the right and the left going to be put in uh, before our eyes in the scriptures, it's the cross. Where on the right of Christ and the left of Christ are the thieves that are crucified Mm -hmm. with him. Yes. So they won't have that right and the left. 
yet, but they will drink the cup which he's going to drink. They will be baptized with the baptism with which he will baptize, which is death and martyrdom. And so James Mm -hmm. says yes, and James will actually be the first martyr of all the apostles. So they do drink the cup. No, thank you. That's a really interesting point. And just knowing they were in Jesus's inner circle, they were following in his footsteps. So they had some relationship of trust with him yeah. to go all in uh, to his invitation. Well, this is the call of every Christian is we are called to make decisions based on the word of Christ, on the word of God, mm-hmm. not to, you know, to look at our bank accounts, not to look at, you know, the way the stock exchange or the news and make our decisions based on that. We want to be prudent. We want to apply the principles of the gospel to the news that we receive in the world, not allow the news to dictate our actions in the Christian life. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Well, what, what would we do know about his death and um, his martyrdom? But what before his martyrdom, what do we know about where he went after the Lord's resurrection? Where did he go on mission? So it's uh, the last words of Christ to the apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And they actually go to all nations. All the, the apostles you know, leave the, the boundaries, if it were, of the, of the Roman Empire. Uh, tradition says, pious tradition, legend says that uh, James goes to Spain. So which has been the westernmost uh, part of the Roman Empire, so Spain, and evangelizes there, and then comes back to Jerusalem and is going to be killed. And we have the we have um, account of his death in Acts chapter twelve. Okay. In Acts chapter twelve, so in Acts chapter twelve, verse one, uh, Herod the king, so this is Herod Agrippa the first. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. So if in the story about the babies uh, in Matthew's gospel being killed, this is the grandson. Hmm. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the, after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by to God and by the church. So Herod beheads James. The crowd loved it. So he arrests Peter, the head mm-hmm. of the apostles. Peter's in prison, and look how many guards he puts around him. This is then the story that leads that Peter is, is, is released from prison at night by an angel. In God's mysterious providence, he wanted James to be martyred and give his life as a witness here, but he lets Peter escape from prison because Peter has other things to do. Yes, So again, another you know, note of providence in this, mm-hmm. the whole story is you know, things happen according to God's will, and it, well, why didn't James also get arrested and be put in prison and right. escape so he could evangelize? Or why didn't Peter die first? That's in right. His primacy. Yep. So this is uh, this is what um, God wanted of James and asked of him. This is the cup of which he asked him to drink. Interesting. And he said yes. Yep. And this is the scene too where it makes sense. Uh, on one of the emblems for Saint James, there is a shell and there is a sword. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the sword is referring to this piece of scripture exactly. of, of his death. Exactly. So when you when you're looking at artwork that has saints involved, every saint has an image or a couple images, an iconographic image, if you want to use a fancy word, of that symbolizes something about them. So usually it is an instrument of martyrdom if they're a martyr or something that they've done in mission. So mm-hmm. the sword for beheading, and then the the shell for he's known for a famous pilgrimage route in Spain. Yes. Yes. I've hiked the Camino before, so I do have a great devotion uh, to St. James the Greater, where at the very end, in the uh, church, Santiago de Compostela, the relics of St. James are are buried and laid. So you can go at the end of a long journey, um, ask for his intercession um, in your life. And so... So how do, how do you get back to Spain from Jerusalem? 
someone brought him there. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the tradition. <laughs> yeah, that's the tradition is that uh, his body, his his disciples bring him back to the land that he would evangelize. Okay. Uh, and that's why he's there. Now, why do you think the connection between, and there's a beautiful uh, story also that happens in Spain before he passes, uh, I'd like to share. But why do you think that James is connected to a pilgrimage route and also being the first martyr? I'm assuming it has to do with his preaching of the gospel, that perhaps he was known for walking and journeying and preaching the gospel uh, after he was sent on mission. And so that's why they bear, they laid his relics at the end of a pilgrimage journey. It's like a far, like the idea is that, you know, to be a, he was went out to be a disciple maker. And then we as Christians are called to be disciple makers and Yes. Is this correct? <laughs> no, I, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this. I, and I was like thinking through like, what you know, what's the connection? And what struck me was the Christian life is often called a pilgrimage. Mm. Yeah, the idea of pilgrimage is that you're no longer in your home, that you're on a journey. And that journey is taking you some, you know, to usually to a physical place, to a holy site yes. to pray. But it's emblematic of, you know, a microcosm of your own Christian journey, mm. but also a, a chance for conversion and prayer and thinking about things in a deeper level. Um, and I think that, you know, a pilgrimage route, you know, that is dedicated to St. James, the first martyr is significant because the Christian life is a pilgrimage, but the Christian life is at its heart cruciform. It is meant to look mm -hmm. like Christ's life and Christ's life ending on the cross. And so that we each are called, as Christ says, to take up or commanded to take up our cross daily and follow him, that the Christian pilgrimage is a journey to the cross in imitation of Christ. And so yes. the different scenes in our life that are heavier than others, you know, these are like stations of the cross on the way to our final kind of engagement where we get to, you know, where we pass from this life to the next. And that when we become Christian, we have to be willing to even give our life to the point of shedding blood to be a martyr. Yes. So I think it's significant. He is, has this great pilgrimage route attached to him. And it mirrors what you were sharing earlier, the, the yes, even despite the ambiguity of what it follows to drink the cup mm -hmm. that yeah, the Lord has, right. that they said yes to drink. Um, we don't exactly know what that cross will look like uh, yeah. in the journey. I was also reminded in baptism, correct? Mm -hmm. When a parent and a priest, they're baptizing a child, is it, it's a shell like uh, item. Oft, uh, yeah, often churches will use a shell. Yeah, that's that right. I believe has that same connotation mm -hmm. of the pilgrimage. This baby is being launched into their journey um, to to Jesus to heaven as well. That's great. I do want to share. There's a great pious legend um, associated with the life of Saint James. Okay. It takes place in Spain, and the story goes is that in uh, you know 40, 42 A.D. or something like that, he is. Uh, evangelizing in Spain, and it's just unfruitful. No one's responding positively. No one's receiving the gospel, and he's very disheartened. And so he he receives the first Marian apparition because Mary's alive either in Jerusalem or Ephesus. Hmm. Mary bilocates, appears to James to encourage him, which is fitting as a mother, right? That you know, John. She's in the care of John, his brother. That she goes and she appears to James and on a pillar, and she says. Look, I know that your mission is not bearing fruit, but this is what the Lord has asked you to do. Your mission will bear fruit. This country will be evangelized someday. Mm -hmm. So he's strengthened by, and as a you know, as a sign that the, you know that this the faith is the fir the firm foundation upon which to build your life. She had appeared on a pillar. She hands him the pillar, this little pillar, and uh, and he takes it and you know takes it with him on mission. He goes back to Jerusalem, and that's when he experiences martyrdom. And then his disciples, knowing the story, bring the body back 
to Spain. And we know Spain as a Catholic country. Yeah, maybe not as much today, but it was a great Catholic country. And we pray that it still can recover its Catholic identity. Mm. Uh, so the story is, so it's a it's an approved Marian uh, shrine. It's in Zaragoza in Spain, if you've ever been there, Our Lady of Pilar. So it's a, if you have a uh, devotion, yes, if you know okay. any Spanish friends that have a daughter named Pilar, it's from mm-hmm. this apparition. Our Lady of the Pillar. So, uh, this her feast day. Her feast day is October twelfth, which is also the day that uh, Christopher Columbus said, "If we don't find land, we will turn around." Hmm. And he finds land on October twelfth. So his fe- his uh, his commemoration day that we celebrate in the United States is October twelfth, and it has to do with Our Lady of Pillar, this apparition to Saint James. So that's our connection to, as Americans, that's our connection to the story of Saint James. Saint James's feast day is July twenty fifth. So if you want to celebrate that. Yes. One other question I have mm-hmm. is when you're hiking the Camino, it's a bit of a legend of did St. James actually walk this route or not? I think I've come to the conclusion that he did not, but the pilgrimage is an ethos of his memory. Mm-hmm. Would you confirm or deny that, that it's likely he didn't actually walk that, that those trails? But I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we have any honor. evidence for or against it. So yeah. Okay. Um, there's, well, we there's there's lots of actually many paths to get to Compostela. Yeah. So, there, you know, you, there's the France route. If you do the pilgrimage, the community, you go the France route, you can go the Southern route. That's so, true. which, he, which he did all the routes. <laughs> <laughs> he did all the routes before his passing. It's a major hiker. Uh, exactly, major hiker. But there is that, you know, right, to, right by Santiago to Compostela. I've not done the Camino, but I've been to the church. Um, right, just the next town over is like Fin de la Mundo or something like the end of the world. Yes, so, yes, it really was there. the thought that it's a beautiful reflection to think of James you know, go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. And he goes to the ends of the earth. And that's where he is now. You know? Yes. Do you have any personal devotion to St. James? I do. I love St. James. This is, I my old, named my oldest son James after this saint. So The greater. James the greater. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. And then one other clarification to deal with the book of St. James. Is the book of St. James attributed to St. James the Greater or St. James the Lesser? St. James the Lesser. Okay. So this is the James. So if you're reading the letter of James, awesome book of the New Testament, like every book of the of the scriptures, uh, James in the New Testament is attributed to James, um, sometimes called James the Just or James the Lesser. But this is the James of Acts 15 that stands up in the Council of Jerusalem. Okay. So James the Greater has already passed because his death is in Acts 12, but Acts 15, okay. is uh, that's the same James. Do we know anything about uh, St. James the Greater's disciples in Acts or in Scripture? Any specific no, people? Nothing comes to mind. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Is there anything else about the life of St. James or Scripture that... No, I, I just encourage... You know, they, I thanks for having me on. I think that the... Uh, for us, the, the you know the Camino. Many people have had you know people without faith even do the Camino because it, it really is a, a long, arduous walk towards a holy place helps one thinks, think and put one's life in perspective. And so I think that, that anytime you can make a pilgrimage, it's great. If you can make a Camino, great. But a pilgrimage can be as simple as going to, you know, walking to church or walking to a couple of churches over a little bit further. And yeah. you know, if you don't have a holy site place to, uh, close to you, but if you have a holy site close to you, you know, see if you can take a half day, a day, you know, once a year, if you can pull it off once every couple months and to uh, really help calibrate yourself and keep your life in check. You know, am I living what the Lord has asked me to live in my life? Absolutely. And although getting to the destination is wonderful, getting to the arrival of the relics of St. James to venerate is a great accomplishment. It is always about the journey, the the struggle, the waking up early in the morning, the blisters is analogous to the spiritual life and um, the journey along the way en route to the pilgrimage destination um, where the Lord bears a lot of fruit. 
So thank you so much, Dr. Akers, for this this episode on St. James. Um, like Dr. Akers said, St. James the Greater's feast day is July 25th. So thank you for watching, and St. James the Greater, pray, pray for us. us. Thank you for being a dedicated...